Created for Connection, a podcast that explores the ways we become disconnected in life, but how God brings us back into connection with himself and others. In today's episode, we interview Dr. Kimber Delvalle, clinical psychologist and trauma healer. Kimber shares about trauma, grief, disconnection, and connection. There's a wealth of insight in this episode that we hope you'll take to heart. To everyone listening, we're glad you're here. Welcome to Created for Connection. I'm your host, Paul McMullen, and I'm here with my co-host, Kevin Shelby. Kevin, good to see you, man. You too, man. It's really good to see you. It's good to be back. We've we've taken some time off. My school has been through a site visit, and we went through the Christmas holidays, and there's just been a lot going on that kind of forced us to take a break for a little bit, And but we're back, and it feels good to be back online and chatting about important things. So Yeah. So, hey, it's a new year, and I'm just curious, like, what are you into these days? Um, any new pets or hobbies? What are you suggesting here, Paul? Are you saying that I am often jumping from thing to thing? I don't know if I've ever put it that way, but, um, you you know, there was that one time you took in the wild squirrel into your house. Um, another time you started picking up trash on the side of the road. I just, I think it's I'm fun. Still doing that. You're, you're still doing that. Well, what's new? I mean, that's kind of old boring trash news it's not boring if you knew some of the things i found lately but we'll leave that for later <laughs> uh so i've taken up fly fishing oh wow yeah. yeah in true kevin fashion my birthday was february the 5th and uh i asked for all fly fishing stuff went all out i've got all the gear now and i've been out practicing and i've caught some fish on my fly rod so but you know since I saw the movie A River Runs Through It, I have thought I've got to try this. Like I I need to have that moment where I'm standing in the middle of the stream and I catch this huge trout and I'm in the mountains somewhere. Yeah. I need I've got to have a moment like that, right? You've always liked Brad Pitt, so I, I can understand that. He is a handsome man. So do you go and like fly fish in the in the Mississippi River? <laughs> 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 yeah, off the Mississippi Bridge. <laughs> you have to have a really long line to do it. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be so fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, enough of this. Why don't we talk about our guest today? Because that's what that's what people are here to listen about. Yes, um, I, I'm really excited about our guest today. Um, she is someone that I've taking, taken an online class with. And um, I've taken a class with her husband on uh, leading process groups. And so I just really like these guys. They're equippers and they're, they're like life equippers. And so um, we have Dr. Kimber Devalier with us. Um, Kimber, I always uh, try to make sure I say your last name right. And I, I always feel like I miss it a little bit, but welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's Spanish. And to be honest, I don't say it as beautifully as my fellow brother and sisters who are Spanish. It's from Spain. And I love hearing them say my name because I can't, I can't quite, it's like a rhythm that I can't get. 
I would love to hear a Scottish person say my last name and see how <laughs> McMullen should be pronounced. Yes, right? It's, it's that. That's great. Uh, Denver, it's, it's good to have you here. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for just providing this opportunity to be here with you, to talk about connection, disconnection. I'm just thrilled to be with the both of you. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to your podcast um, a few weeks ago and actually had a relative that was uh, having a surgery. And one of your episodes was about basically preparing mentally and emotionally for a surgery. And I was just like, oh, this is this is perfect timing. It was like a God timing sort of thing. So I sent it to her and, um, and the surgery went well, but I just, I think it's so cool. Like you're, what you're doing with your podcast. And I want to go ahead and, and say like, you just had a book come out too. Is that correct? Yes, I did. I just had a book on Wednesday, March 1st. It's called still making a hole when parts go missing. And I have been working on this for 12 years. It wow. was, it was a long birth. It was a long birth and I'm just so excited to put it out in the world. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Well, um, I listened to your latest podcast episode where you read some of that, some mm -hmm. of your story. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned we've had, we've had some people, uh, on this season and, and grief has kind of been a theme that we've talked about, but as I listened to you read the, your story, I was, I was transported there. I was, I was feeling all the feelings and I'm like, oh gosh, I got to take a second before I do anything else. Uh, it, it's very powerful to, to hear you read your experience. Thank you. You know, when I wrote the book, I, um, have been trained in trauma I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, and I know that in trauma work, when we go back and grab the parts of ourselves that have been disconnected, because when a trauma event is happening, it's too much to be all fully present. So on purpose, we disconnect and same as developmental trauma in our childhood. And so the way that we reconnect to ourselves is to get into the present feeling. And so I purposefully wrote it present tense, first person, so that as you read my book, you can find parts of yourself that have gone missing. And uh, yeah, I've gotten some really positive feedback about that. And to read it slow, possibly this is a book you read slow. That's really, that's really cool. And I love, I love what you said about, you know, just being in the present moment. That's something that, that we've talked about a lot on here and, and the importance of that. So, I mean, just that's so creative to craft it for that purpose. And may, maybe if you would just tell us what somatic experience trauma work is, um, yeah. for, so our listeners might understand that a little better. Yeah. So somatic experiencing is a mind body modality that was developed by Dr. Peter Levine, and it is essentially nervous system work. It's not as much relational, you know, lots of therapy modalities are very relational repair, but somatic experiencing really reworks your nervous system. So it helps you learn what does your body feel like when it's safe, when it's unsafe. It was a three-year training I think we had to do, I don't know, 
so many hours, five days, three times a year. It, it's a very intensive work because it really takes time to be able to track the nervous system. Yeah. So what are people doing when they're doing this type of therapy? Yeah. So when people come into my office, we're reworking most of the time people have had a trauma event. And just for the sake of being triggered, we can all use our imagination of what that is. I'm not going to say them out loud, but they're coming in and they're relearning what it's like to be safe. Because when we have an event, and I will speak this one, is like even a car accident, it's so disorienting. It's so disorienting to have something physically threaten you, even though you're safe, you're fine. Our bodies keep going, oh my goodness, the world is unsafe. Let me find all the places that are unsafe. And we're already wired that way. When we're not feeling safe, when we're not feeling connected, our minds automatically look for those things that are going wrong. And so it takes thoughtfulness, mindfulness to say, what's right in this situation? How am I feeling safe? And so I often, when people come in dysregulated and it's like, I want you to look around the room. How does your body, what is your body telling you in this moment that you know you're safe in my office? And so we do that over and over again, learning what it's like to be safe. And so that's, I don't know if that's specific enough, Kevin, in terms of like what we would do. No, that's great. I'm like trying to take notes here because I've got I've got clients that have um, dissociative disorders. Um, I've got clients that have, you know, significant trauma, PTSD, things like that. And so um, I'm always trying to pick people's brains for different ways of engaging, um, you know, people that are are really going through it, you know, because yeah. they're looking for a lifeline. So that's right. Uh, yeah. And one of the reasons I started my podcast, I thought I was over this. I have what's called pause episodes and pause episodes like the one Paul was referring to of, of feeling comfortable, as safe as you can when you do surgery. It's it's practicing being safe. And so my clients have loved being able to listen to these because, you know, moments when we have um, dissociative disorder, when we are in the throes of PTSD, our body doesn't know what it's like to feel safe. And so my podcast episodes in the pause arena are all about in this moment, in this moment, you're safe and let's feel it. I, um, I'm about to take a trauma class. So I'm excited about that. Oh. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I know that people are more familiar with trauma now. Um, I also know like, PTSD uh, uh, is, I guess it's specifically about like seeing uh, or, or experiencing some act of violence or loss of a, of a person. But I wonder if when we talk about trauma, like what qualifies as trauma? I mean, is there, what's, what's a way to think of like, have, have I experienced this or not? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I want to say that I use a very broad view of the word trauma. And I will be very specific to say it's little t trauma, but when our nervous system is in fight or flight, that's a trauma response. And so most, I mean, all of us have experienced some kind of trauma. We're not talking about the big categories that we could all name, you know, that come to your mind. 
it's more, is your body in fight or flight? And for some of us, it's a habit. It's a habit. It's that we might call it anxiety. Oh, I'm an anxious person. It's like, well, you are, but I would also say your body feels traumatized. And so it's, and so it's just, I don't know if that's going to be too abstract, but that's the way I think of it. It's like when your body's in fight or flight, you're having a trauma response, whether you know why it is or not. Kimber, I've, I've had people, um, recently say, it just seems like trauma is such a buzzword in mental health and in, even in religious circles and, and, you know, there's some resistance to accepting that people that I've experienced trauma at some level. Yep. And, um, so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I will often say is, do you think that God designed you to live with this level of anxiety or this level of depression, mm-hmm. you know, that, that constant activation that you're feeling, do you think that's how you were designed to live? And maybe that speaks a little bit to that, but could you talk a little bit about your perspective of that when people, I'm sure you've heard that from folks before, you know, it seems like everybody's traumatized. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I think it is a buzzword. I think that's a fair critique right now. I really do. I think that it's it's a fair critique. I also want to say that we, at least in Western culture, resist and kind of cringe at the idea of being a victim, which can go hand in hand with trauma. And we are always quick to pull someone out and to make sure that they know no, in fact, you're not a victim. And what I want to say after working with Afghani women during when the Taliban invaded, um, it's like, no, we have true, true victims. We don't just pull them out. And that is a bias that we have here that we need to rework. But At the same time, we need to notice whether we get into one of those trauma positions relationally. And and I, you, you all might've heard this, right? The trauma positions are, are you a victim? Are you a persecutor? Are you a rescuer? Or are you the quiet bystander who stands by and does nothing? And I think the critique is what we, when we experience someone who's in kind of a developmental relational pattern, they keep switching from place to place, never really getting outside of that and adulting and being able to ask for their needs. That's what I would define as adulting. You build, you have self-awareness, that's adulting. You start asking for your needs, that's adulting. Whereas a, a person who's really in a traumatized place, they keep wishing for the rescuer. Even God, God rescue me from my situation versus God, where are where are you right now? I don't feel you, but I know you have not left me and let me see where you are. Wow. Um, (laughs) that's really good. Um, I'm curious if, if that connects to your own story, Kimber and Mm -hmm. what, um, what got you to the place where you would go through the three years of somatic training? Um, yeah. 
uh, I, I know that this connects some to your story, but would you share a little bit with us just kind of what it's been like to um, to move towards um, your own healing and then wanting mm-hmm. to help others in this area? Yeah, I would love to share. I spent a lot of time. I spent my whole 20s in therapy, twice a week therapy. I went as a student where we got an $8 a session. I went twice a week. And then as I went into graduate school for my doctorate, I went to a psychoanalyst and spent eight years with him. So I had a lot of reworking to do. I was very depressed. I was suicidal. Um, happy to say that that passed as I, as I reintegrated and learned more about some of my relational dynamics that caused that suicidality inside of me. But what happened was I actually had a couple trauma experiences. Again, I don't want to trigger anyone, so I'm not going to say what they are, but I learned, oh my goodness, you can't control this. You can't control. When I had a trauma response, I had a life-threatening situation happen to me. And it was astounding to me how triggered you are. And I thought, I've been in therapy for 12 years. How is this possible? How is this possible? But it gave me this new view. And then when my son died six years later, after this trauma event, I recognized grief and trauma in the body feel the same. They really feel the same. We are so disoriented. We are so turned upside down by significant loss. And our whole body goes back into a trauma. We, we go into shock, you know, we're in shock we're frozen, we're paralyzed. And for me, luckily my therapist was available. I immediately went back into therapy and I started writing this book four years after my son died. And I don't think I could have done it in the way that I did it present tense. You know, I, I mean, it took me 12 years because sometimes I had to put the book down. I could, I was like, God, I think this is too much. And there's too many stories out there. You don't need mine but he would always put someone in my, in my life to say, no, no, you, you need to, you need to keep writing this, including one time an Uber driver. I was on the way I, I took, um, Natalie Goldberg's writing retreats in New Mexico. She is an amazing memoirist, um, writing down the bones. So I was going out there with her, my Uber driver. She says, Oh, what are you writing? I said, I'm writing a memoir in honor of my stillbirth son. And she said, I had a stillbirth and all I want to do is forget that that ever happened to me. And then she went on to tell me how her, her life blew up, you know, divorce, all of these, of course, cause you're dysregulated. You're just trying to stuff everything down. And it's such a significant loss. And I thought, okay, God, I was doubting you put the Uber driver here. I got the message. I'm I'm going to keep going. And time and time again, he put women and families in my life to just say, no, there's a need for a story like this. Kimber, you know, you hear a lot um, just in different, like even therapeutic approaches for people to write, you know, create a narrative around whatever their experience was. I have my clients do a lot of that as you're talking about that. Was the writing of the memoir also a healing process for you? Was it therapeutic and healing? Yeah. So what I would say for me 
the writing process I wrote before I started officially writing the book and that journaling and keeping track. I wrote down my dreams, some of those dreams, you know, in the book, everything is from my journals as it was happening live. And so in that way, it was therapeutic, but I have to say, I really had to work on my own regulation. And so it was less therapeutic as I got into the book because again, 12 years, my life looks nothing. Like I have a rainbow baby, he's 15, you know, and yet I kept professionally going back to that loss and I was writing it in a way that it would come up. So I would have to do transitions, like take a nap after I wrote or batch my writing and not write every day, but save it and, and do like say four days in a row. So it was therapeutic, but with a caveat. Gotcha. Well, and with it being so raw and, um, you know, in the moment, what is it like to put that out there? Well, it's, it, it would be really scary. It is scary, but it would be a lot more scary if I hadn't for the last six months been going to my small group and saying, will you accept me if my book sucks? Will you like still be my friend if I embarrass you by what I put out in the world? And I have gotten a resounding yes. And they have held my fears over and over and over again. And I've put them out there to be held that honestly on release day, it's just been joy. It's been joy. And some of that could be that people don't have their paperbacks yet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Kimber, um, Kevin and I have been in a process group together um, now for several years. And, um, you know, the, we, we use uh, John Townsend's relational needs, which, you nice. know, some of this I, I got from your husband and um, acceptance is the top thing on the list. And so, you know, the needs are, are tools that you ask other people for. But I just think it's, it's fascinating to say, like, um, you put yourself out here and you have friends that the answer, like, will they accept me if my books uh, is a flop or whatever? It's like you want to say to yourself, of course, they'll accept me. This is dumb to ask or whatever. But it sounds like that instead you went ahead and went through the process and said, like, well, you know, I need to hear this. And um, I think that's really powerful that that you got that response and that it it like totally set a foundation for you to be able to move in there. Yeah. Well, Paul, the thing is, is that even though our mind knows it, we don't know the words our friends would say. We know that they would accept us, but to hear their specifics, I mean, it can, it brings a little tears to my eyes because I could have never imagined their acceptance in their own words. And that's why it's so important to put it out there because of course your mind knows, but you're using your mind. It's only your mind. It doesn't know what's in them. I have over time developed some, you know, different strategies for counseling and things like that. And one of the things that, that I often say, and I've said it probably a hundred times on this podcast is I think we're all asking a question or some version of it. And is it, if you really knew all of it, if you really knew all of me, would you love me and accept me? And our greatest fear is that the answer is going to be no. Right. But the deepest longing that we have is for it to be yes. 
for another another human being to look at us and say, yes, I can hold your story and still love you. I can hold your failures and still love you. Yes. You know, and that that's where true healing, I think, takes place. Mm-hmm. So um, I love that you that you embodied that by just overtly asking the question to your friends saying, are you guys going to still love me if this thing sucks? You know, that is so, that's so awesome. That's ins- inspirational to me as well, you know, cause when you put things out there, you just don't, you, you almost brace yourself for the worst. And, yeah. uh, and, and so that's so cool that you asked your, your inner circle of people to do that. I'm curious because I I know that our audience their interest is peaked about your story, mm-hmm. and then um, you've given us some pieces of that. You know, um, and you mentioned that you you had a stillbirth and that this book is, has come from that, that experience. It's been a twelve year journey. So I'm I'm just curious when that happened. What was the fallout? How did everything end up going? following that event in your life and and where did you find spaces of of connection and even disconnection yeah that's a great question um i and do we have all day <laughs> uh where i found myself i am a go getter i'm a high achiever and i was doing my uh I think I was doing my postdoc hours at UCLA Counseling Center. I was teaching, I think, at least one statistics class. Um, I, I mean, I would my my schedule was full, and I was preparing to nest for my son, and I had a three and a half year old daughter, and I w- I was waiting to I I mean I kind of just took him for granted. He, he was like a part of my body and I was a, I was a, a bodiless head walking around. And so when he died, it's like, I, I mean, of course I remember pieces of him, but did I enjoy him? No, I was waiting to enjoy him when he arrived. And that shook my world because we don't know how long we have with someone. And we don't know how long we have to be capable of, of loving and enjoying. And so I then really had to look at my life in that moment and say, what is your life about? And I, I had a, a come to the Holy Spirit moment because I was a fantastic doer. I mean, I was doing, I was so involved in my church boards, all of these things. And yet what I saw is how we show up in the world is what is powerful. And I was showing up as a moving being in action all the time. And what I, what my son gave me was I, you know, I lost my legs. I, I was down to the ground. I, I was devastated. And so it made me look at, okay, you know what? My marriage isn't going to last. We have some real blind spots here. We have some real bad patterns here. And the last thing I want to do is to have my daughter lose another part of her family. 
And so my Dennis and I had to really face in, I had to face in, what am I responsible for? What do I need to change here in this dynamic? Because I don't want my daughter to have another loss like we just experienced. And she will. Statistics, research, the way we're interacting. I mean, it wasn't all bad, right? But it was like parallel lives. So what do we need to do to get on course? So it took a long time. We had some, we have, we, we don't have great relational histories in terms of our family. You know, um, my, I, anyway, I don't want to get into stories that aren't ours, but we, we came with some relational baggage and we needed, we were, we were acting that out with one another. This is, it, it's clearly not just your story. It's your whole family's story. It, it transformed is. you guys. It It is. And in fact, the way I wrote the book is I have sections called the story of us. And that's the, you see the history Dennis of Dennis and my relationship, because you can see in the book, some massive misses, some really big misses. And somebody um, who doesn't have children, she, she, she was one of my reviewers. So she has read the book. She said, what I left with is we can all have important conversations and ask for our needs and repair things that seem irreparable. And I was like, done, I'm done. I don't need to eat. know what, you know, <laughs> yeah. Boom! it's worth it. <laughs> that's great. I just want to applaud. That's so good. That's, yeah. that's exactly what you want. I mean, it, it, that's in my heart. I, I want people to experience that. It, it feels so wonderful when I've experienced that. And, um, I love that's the response she gave to your book. So yeah. Good. Thank you. And my daughter, Eden, she's now, um, in college. She, she commented on my Instagram post and she said, and also being starred in this film, in this movie is the daughter who named the baby because our son's name is baby long beach, because that's what she had named him. And we were still working out his real name. And so it's just fun. She it's fun. People really fall in love with her in the book. And, and that was one of the things that I wanted to do is show kids. Siblings are really impacted. Yeah. Baby long beach. That's so cute. I mean, just and and how that even even the innocence of that is is part of the healing journey, you know. Yes. Sometimes I think kids are are going to be better at helping us heal than you know therapy can at times. But I'm curious too, just as you as you kind of went through this journey of grief, you you went to what you described as just like in the pit, you know, it was it was hard both internally. And then relationally with your husband, and then, you know, you have this three and a half year old that you're, you're trying to care for. And so you navigated some really turbulent waters. And I, I think that maybe I'm sure that you going through that gave you wisdom to look back and say, okay, now I can see where other people might have to navigate similar waters. So yeah. what are some things that you might talk to people about? If they are facing a recent loss or a traumatic experience, what are, what are some starting places that you would help them go to? Yeah. I love that. You can't do it alone. You aren't created. God did not create you 
to go through devastation and shock of grief alone. So who are your people? And if you don't have people, there are a lot of, or there are several national support systems. You need to be supported. You need to be seen. I would also say if you have a past history of depression, grief is going to feel as if you've gone back into depression and it, it just mirrors it. It's it, it, your grief and your trauma. It just says something significant happened and you loved well, or you are, are missing the one that is now gone. And so to really, as you make sense of things, to know it's normal to feel these things, it's normal to feel like you're depressed, like you don't want to get up. It's also normal to have very crazy thoughts. Like in my book, I talk about wanting to steal babies. It, I, I mention just the, every little thing can feel too much. It's just too much because the punches keep happening, right? Life, the sun keeps coming up. And so for the person in grief and trauma to know, yes, things are going to keep going wrong and what's going right right now. And that's the piece. We got to keep asking ourselves what else is true. So a gratitude journal that is really true, not making up things, but can really help your brain also hold all of it. Okay. So can we camp on that description of when you have been through an experience like this, everything feels like too much. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit more? Just what that feels like mm-hmm. um, and, and how people might identify that they're even experiencing that. Cause I think sometimes we're experiencing it and we don't even realize it. Right. Yeah. So when, when we are in deep grief trauma, our brains are now where we are firing is what is going wrong. That's the way our brain is wired. And so it's going to catch every single thing that's wrong. You have a broken door. Well, your mind is going to be like, look at even the door isn't, isn't fixed. And it's like a tornado. I call it a grief tornado. We're going to sweep everything up through that filter. And so we have to mindfully notice what is going right and who is with me and to continually remind yourself you are not alone and to reach out because when everything's going bad, we can feel shame, which keeps us isolated. We can feel depressed. So we don't have the motivation to reach out. And also we can do things like start binge watching And that impacts our sleep. So we're not sleeping, we're not eating. And of course your body is going to feel like it's going haywire and everything's going wrong because you're physically not taking care of yourself. And so it really, you really have to be cognizant. What are the habits? And I don't mean this in a pull up your bootstrap, but what do you need to do today? And that if you don't, you're actually going to bring on some depression, not just grief. And so how can you get that meal? Yeah. So that that's really helpful. And I'm imagining people that I've worked with, or, you know, even people that I know listen to the podcast and they might say the reality of everything is too much keeps me from making those types of steps, like taking that step and being able to 
you know, to do things differently, to not binge watch. Because when I, when I am binge watching, I'm not distracted at that moment. You know, it's keeping me from experiencing the anxiety, at least in the moment. So um, what would your response to people be? Yeah. Well, you're able to binge watch. So what could you do instead? What could you do before you binge watch? Could you go outside? Could you get dressed? Could you binge watch on the couch instead of in your bed? Could you binge watch after you've showered? Not that we need to shower every day. I don't believe we do. But, you know, you get the idea. Could you only binge watch after you eat? It's the that pre-Mac principle, right? Where we eat our vegetables before dessert. And people who are stuck in trauma and grief often go for dessert. And the problem is, is dessert before vegetables and protein are going to flip your nervous system out. So what I'm going to say is, well... You have the energy to binge watch. So what do we need to do to make sure that before you binge watch, you get up and you go get some food? What's going to make that happen? Do we need to order it? Do we need to tell people you're not able to eat? They can bring stuff to you. What do we need to do? We want to take a moment and thank Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring today's episode. Wellspring is an initiative Paul launched at the beginning of 2021 that provides people with a safe place to process the experiences they're facing in life. Whether you're going through challenges or transitions, or if you need a safe group of people to share life with for a season, we invite you to join a Wellspring process group. I've been in one of these groups and it's been a life-changing experience for me. I encourage you to go to the show notes right now and contact Wellspring to find out when you can join a process group for yourself. So, and Paul, you may have some thoughts on this too, but um, what would you say then, you know, or would you say that part of the struggle when you get in grief and trauma, since they are parallel processes? Yes. Um, would you say then that the issue is actually that we're distracting ourselves from being present in the moment with what we feel about that? Exactly. And that the longer we do that and the more, the greater efforts we make to do that, the longer we extend the process. Is that yes. accurate? It's totally accurate. Or the lo- maybe it were, it has nothing to do with the length of time, but it has, how are you showing up? You're not going to get this life back. So how much are you spending in this time of really something that is really meaningless? I mean, again, I get it. You can't get out of bed, but how can you feel connected while you stay in bed? That would be like asking yourself, what's the next thing that I can do that would really help me out? It's not that I'm trying to be a productive human. I want in trauma and grief, you need to be a connected human. And so often when we don't do what needs to be done, we end up having some depression. And what I say is you're depressed because your life is depressing. This is an accurate, this is an accurate feeling in this moment. This is what we've come to. 
And you don't, I, I'm not saying this so that you feel shame. I'm saying this so we can name where you are and say what got you here isn't going to work to get you out and you have to be connected. So who can we connect with? I really, uh, I'm wrapping that in. We've talked about recovery some on this podcast and addiction, and there's a lot of similarities in terms of the feelings associated with moving forward and how it can be shame producing to think like, I should be doing this. I should be able to take care of myself. I should be able to do this without asking for it. And what you just said was like, no, this is not about shame about what you should be doing. It's about connection. It's about, and and this is stealing it from uh, Townsend again. It's about being a loved person rather than than being a good person. Like instead of being good enough, am I loved enough? And so it's more about reaching out and and that aspect of loving and and with with myself, I would think. And then also toward others. Um, it does make me wonder how did, how did you struggle or how did you feel towards yourself in some of this process? Yeah. Well, you know, because this was my second major trauma, I didn't go through the why me. I went through that when I had something happen to me before, but my husband went through the why me. And sometimes the why me can keep us down. It's a good question to ask. It's a relevant question to ask, but there's also, we got to flip it on its head and say, why not me? And so I knew in my first trauma, I was more isolative. I mean, I was in therapy, so I I was, but when this trauma happened, I'm like, I'm bringing out all, everything I got, every friend I have. And my, you know, it's like, get connected. I was all in because again, I had gone through a trauma where it was, I was just, I wasn't sharing it as much. And I had some of those darker feelings. So if I can help anyone eliminate some of that time loss, it's like, get connected. (laughs) And so did you have to go back then? And I mean, I, I think you said that you'd been in therapy for years and then you had a traumatic experience. And then, you know, there was a, there was some time after that yeah. And then you had this loss. Did you have to go back and re re-engage some of those past um, things that you experienced? I, I didn't. It was more for the first time, really allowing myself to receive from others. I think what the, the death of my son made me realize it's so hard for me to receive from others. And in a way that really impacts like receive from God too. I mean, I was such a doer. I couldn't imagine that God was shining upon me, loving me. The Holy spirit is working in me, whether I'm doing or not. And, and that was really a transformation for me. It was what I learned is, wow, there is power in receiving. And so I wasn't necessarily reworking stuff from my past. It was more the, the portals had been open and I was available for receiving in ways that I never imagined. Okay. So that, that brings me to a different question, a little twist in in the story. Um, 
I, I think the idea of being open to receiving and connection that that applies very broadly, I think, to anyone that's listening, how that's a struggle. It's easier in one sense to be isolated than to take that step towards connection. And yeah. we, we we've talked about that pretty much with everybody we've had yeah. on this podcast. But um, for those that are in, um, let, let's say, in, in Christian circles and churches, what what are some of the ways that. Um, you you have found and maybe Kevin you you've noticed this too in places where people are not open to the portals as you said and to the the floodgates of receiving what how how have you found people to be suspicious or or hold off on some of those things I think a lot of times that has to do with your child it has to do with the past you know it has to do with the past maybe what you were given or what happened, maybe strings were attached. I think that so often the story that we have created around what it's like to be the one in need has to do with how the past has happened. But here, here's the thing. If you're a supporter of somebody in the Christian community, I, I want to say they need you. They need God, but they need you. And when we say things like, well, he's in heaven, that totally dismisses my immediate devastation. That does not help me. It makes you an unsafe person. At least when we start at leasting people, at leasting is an amazing thing for regret or an amazing thing once we've come out of the shock of trauma. It is not, when we are in the shock of trauma, please don't at least people. It dismisses and it, 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 it takes you out of the well, kind of saying, hey, come up here rather than you coming down here in the well of grief with me. So I, I'm hearing like, we don't, and sometimes in Christian circles, we don't give people the space to feel um, those negative feelings. And we are not giving them the space to receive, not just from God in a spiritual sense, or as we pray for them or something like that but also through us, like the relational human to human sort of need. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm just struck, right? Read David's Psalms, his heart being pulled out. Read Jesus in Gethsemane. God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, we need our, we, our longings, our hurts heard. It's not me. It doesn't mean we're going to stay there, but we need containers in people. I mean, Jesus was angry that the disciples were falling asleep. I need you. He didn't just need his relationship with God. He kept, stop falling asleep. I need you. This is my darkest hour. Jesus needed his people. We need our people. I, I have all of these like fireworks going off in my head about different things. And, um, I, I love what you're talking about. This is so good. And just like light bulbs going off. So um, I wish that we had like three more hours just to pick your brain about stuff. But, you know, one thing that I was struck by what you what you just said, you mentioned that maybe people were given things with strings attached, like in their families. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, or or there might be other relational dynamics at play that 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 show up in how they how they lean into relationships 
naturally versus maybe how they should lean into relationships. Yes. And so because of that, you know, I was struck by that idea because it, it demonstrates how important it actually is for us to be engaged with people in the church, in the body of Christ, because it, because they may have a role in reorienting us mm-hmm. as to what relationships should be like, despite how our relationships have been. Yes. And that, that that is a, that is an additional, like, um, it's not just necessarily something on the periphery, like that's part of why Jesus designed the body of Christ, you know, the, why yeah. he died for the church so that the church could be made up of unique people that know how to show up for one another in healthier ways. Yes. And in more loving ways. And they were taught maybe even in their family of origin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the attachment research shows it doesn't have, we, we can have what's called an earned secure attachment. We can learn how to be healthy in relationship with people outside of our family. And church members are certainly people, therapists, mentors. So um, you mentioned earlier you were able to utilize your small group friends and uh, they they were able to meet you and your needs with the book coming out. Um, Kevin and I have talked before, maybe not on the podcast, but we've talked about how there can be more of a superficial element to some relationships. And this is not just in a church setting, but sometimes, you know, you might be in a small group or you're in some kind of a classroom setting or wherever you're supposed to be building relationships. And these are supposed to be your people. um, And yet it can feel really superficial. And maybe some of us that are like trying to, to, push for more authenticity. We like throw something out there and then it's just completely dropped and missed. And you're like, Oh, why can't, why can't I experience here? What, what it should be like, or what I, what I get in a, in a setting where you wouldn't expect to, but you're getting that. So, um, do y'all have any thoughts on how do you, (laughs) how do you build uh, some more depth in those relationships? Ah, that I love this question. I love this question. So I think since I've been 25 and I'm now 53, I have been in small group, really at small groups. And here's the thing you got, you have to, you, it's all about structure in every small group I've been in. You, you, you switch, you rotate what you're going to share. And so you each have 20 minutes. And in the, my current small group, we have, we have a lot of people. So each person, we get three people a time. So there, you may not share, you're not going to share every time. And we try to do social things outside of that. And also have a lot other people who aren't just small group people in, um, we're not necessarily exclusive, but our small group is exclusive because we are the intention is we want to know what's on your heart. So there, the small group time, you know, we have a warm up, 15 minutes and then boom, the first person goes and then the next person goes and then the next person in every small group where you deep dive, that's what happens. And the thing about it, if you aren't building intimate relationships, when hard times come, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to be more difficult. 
Yeah, because we when the difficult seasons come and we are going to naturally tend towards isolation. Yes. If we don't have people that see us and know us and understand us, they're not they don't they're not going to know how to find us when they when we're when we're lost right exactly yes it's, it's, it's letting people know you to know how to find you when you're lost yes i love and, that and if we don't do that um if we don't create those types of connections then we will live in isolation and we'll find ways to manage that isolation and that disconnect in very unhealthy ways right exactly exactly that's so good you also yeah. mentioned the structure part. This is part of the structure of group because the default, when you get into group, you might have one like really special moment. Somebody shares their heart on something, group rallies around them and comforts. And, and then next week it's back to, it's back to surface level. And, and so building in the structure, not just on a group level, but in terms of like, I've, I've got people in my life that I feel like, oh, I can share in depth with. But then when you're not in practice, when, when there's not a purposeful place for that, mm-hmm. it's so easy to move back into the isolation of like, well, it's kind of uncomfortable to go there <laughs> with them today. I just think like the having some structure that that asks those questions um, that helps get get some of that hard stuff out is really helpful. And and we shouldn't uh, feel like, oh, that should just come naturally if we were you know, if we're really close, that should just come naturally. Well, yeah, but the structure helps. Yeah. It really helps too, for those people who aren't, who are used to hanging back. You know, if you open it up, you, you, at least my experience before we had structure, there's a couple people who are going to dominate, not on purpose, but just because they have curious minds and they're right. It's like when you have a structure, it really helps the people who need a little more warm up time before they share. And so you capture everyone and you honor every person. And even when, to me, if you think that t- setting time limits is superficial, well, again, you save the group from the person who's very talkative. You save the group from someone like me <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and you honor and you, and so you can go to the next person. I just, I encourage our listeners to take a step towards that in whatever mm-hmm. setting you're in. If you're in a church where, you've, where you're trying to build that or you already have that, um, it does, it, it, it might be a culture shift. And I don't know what each person's experience is right now, but it's worth, it's worth uh, searching out and seeking because um, like, like what was just mentioned, you don't know when that tragedy is going to come. You don't know when that dip is going to come and you're not going to want to be out building the sort of depth of connection at that point. And so do the prep work now relationally build, build that so that um, you you're not alone during that time. And I I just, I encourage people to to take a step toward that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would argue that you can't, build those types of connections when you're going through a traumatic experience or, you know, like it's nearly impossible. I'm not saying nobody's ever done it, but 
it's it's going to be nearly impossible for you to to go out and seek out that kind of connection. You you just won't have the energy to invest in other people because you're so empty yourself. Right. So there's one more question that I'd like to ask you and uh, before we wrap up, and that is um, if you could encourage people to take one step towards connection today, mm-hmm. what what would you say? I would say this might be a surprising answer. I want you to connect with yourself. Mm-hmm. Get a childhood picture. Where is that part of you inside of you? If you struggle with that harsh judge, how can you enjoy yourself? And I don't mean in a prideful way, because here's the thing. You believe in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in you. Holy Spirit's in you, loving on you, your every breath, knowing every hair on your head, every thought before you think it, you are beloved. And sometimes we don't embody that. And when we can embody and know, oh, I have something worth connecting to. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying prideful, but you are created in the image of God. You have something to offer the world. You are here for a calling, for a purpose, even if it's to breathe air. I mean, I I guess I say that because I don't want people to suddenly go like, my life is meaningless. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you have to kind of meet yourself. If you believe in God, meet God. And then go meet somebody else. See what happens when you just go to the grocery store. How can you show up and not be in a hurry and just make eye contact? And one of the ways that you can also make connection then if if ever if you're already in this place but you don't know how to make a connection, I think book clubs are really underutilized. And I'm not saying that because I just wrote a book. I think book clubs you can really feel connected with other people. And especially if you eat, if you eat before the book club, I think that can be, feel, um, unintimidating to do that. So maybe that if you aren't in connection with others and you connect with yourself, you know, you're a, a a sacred being and you matter, then start a book club. That's great. Yeah. I love it. And I, I'm, I just, I'm so thankful to have gotten to to spend time with you listening to your story and and your depth of wisdom that comes out of that story and out of your training and um it's been a real blessing for me to be with you today cuz like I I I'm going to take away stuff I've been writing notes I'm going to take away stuff that I'll be using uh from this point forward with people that I work with and and more importantly in my own life you know mm-hmm. because I I know that there are that these things speak to, you know, places in me and um, and I'm certain that it'll speak to places in our audience as well. So, Kimber, thank you so much for for being with us today. And um, thank you, Kevin. Yeah. And Kimber, we've mentioned uh, some of the ways that people can get connected with your work. But um, so your book still making a hole when parts go missing is out now. Yes. And people can find that on Amazon and where, where else, where should they find it? 
Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Noble. And if you want to be a real ambassador, ask your local bookstore to order it because I actually have like a buyback system where they can they can order it with no risk. If they don't sell the books, they can send them back. So I'd love to put it in local bookstores and give local bookstores business. Okay, that's great. Because it's on Ingram Spark, so your local bookstore can order it from there. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we'll have that in our show notes and people can find that link. And then, um, you know, I, uh, I love your podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you also said you have a newsletter that, that you do every couple of weeks. Yeah. So I have a newsletter called a moment of pause and people can go to my website to sign up. It's drkimber.net. So D R K I M B E R.net. And you can sign up for my newsletter. It's twice, um, twice a month. And I have reflections and just practices of how to be present and things like that. I will say I have a free resource on my website right now, how to support grieving children in families. And it was a, it's a PDF that is created, um, by my son, my rainbow baby, and he, he created it. So that's a free resource on my website. That's great. Um, and I, I jokingly asked before we started today, I was like, Kimber, you need to use your podcast voice today. But <laughs> when you do your pause episodes, you have just a very soothing voice that um, I, I part, put it on when my my boys and I were in the car and they're like, what is this? Dad? And I was like, it's, it helps you calm down. <laughs> it does. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been, uh, it's been really great. And um, thanks for taking the time to meet with us today and, and talk with us. And um, I know that our audience is really going to benefit from this. And so, um, you know, and, and for our audience members, we are so thankful that you joined us and we are grateful that you're a part of the created for connection community and, and um, your love and support means a lot. And um We ask that you like and share this podcast on whatever uh, platforms you're involved with. You can share it on Facebook or uh, Instagram um, or Twitter. And if if there's anyone out there who is feeling disconnected, um, we want to remind you, we want you to remember that you are not alone. We're glad you joined us today. Please check out the show notes for helpful resources and ways to connect with Kimber's work. You'll also find our email address there, and we welcome you to share your feedback with us. Let us know what topics you're interested in, and we'll try to explore those at some point. And if you've got a story of disconnection and connection that you'd like to share, we'd love to hear about it. Please connect with us. Special thanks to Cheyenne Matters for providing our music, and thanks to Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring this episode. As always, we'd love you to follow us on whatever podcast service you're using. And please drop a review to let people know if this has been helpful for you. We'll see you next time.